may be seated. Our sermon text today is Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. It's a story that's unique to Luke amongst the Gospels. And we need to remember it comes right after the Good Samaritan. The story where we've learned that we are to love God and love our neighbor. It's not enough to merely be religious. Truly following Christ requires action. We need to do things. But against that backdrop, Luke tells us the story of a visit that Jesus made to a a family that was very dear to him, a family he knew well. Their home appears to have been a headquarters of sorts for his Judean ministry. Follow along now as I read from Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. This is the inspired word of God. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, we thank you that you have brought us to this place on this day, not only to this place physically, but to this place in your word, where we might open it up and and look at what you have to say to us. We pray that you truly would be speaking to us now through your word, through your spirit, guiding us, directing us, showing us the ways of righteousness, showing us how very far we fall short of those ways. And best of all, the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we we come to a passage that's often understood by many people as just being kind of a a comparison between two ways of life, uh, an allegory of sorts for these two ways, one being being a a life of active service and the other being a a life of contemplative following Christ. You know, like like one being people going out and doing things for him, the other being a a retreat, uh, like like monks that returned, retreated to a monastery, just walled themselves off from culture. Uh, but, but, but I don't think that that's the best way to see this passage of Scripture. It leaves us, leaves us wanting some. It leaves us uncomfortable. And, and I guess that's by itself not really a reason to, to not like a way of understanding Scripture. Scripture should make us feel uncomfortable at times. We should come to the Scriptures and, and see things that challenge us, things that things that cause us to squirm a little bit, that cause us to say, you know what? Jesus is saying my life should be like this, but when I look at my life, it's like that. And I have to wrestle with that. 
That should happen to us sometimes. But, but here in this case, I think we have a passage that, that's far more than just simply a comparison between these two ways of life. It's a passage about how we are to relate to Jesus. And I think we see the three things that, that I want to take a look at briefly this morning are that we are to listen to Jesus, we are to trust in Jesus, and we are to find our peace ultimately through Jesus. First of all, listen to Jesus. It's quite obvious here that we see in this passage that Mary did just that, but let's start at the beginning of the passage in verse 38, where we see that Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. Martha was likely Mary's older sister. She uh, was the owner of the house, apparently. We see that it's her house. It was uncommon for women in this day to own a home, uh, so so likely she was a widow. That's the most common context in which a woman would own a home in that day, would be if she was a widow. We don't know this for sure, but it's, it's kind of the assumption that most commentators make as they look at this passage uh, throughout history. Uh, we see her as, as this widow who had her family members staying with her, and she welcomed Jesus into her house. Now, it'd be easy to set up Martha and Mary against each other, like I said, to see Martha as just kind of the bad guy in the story. Don't be like that. Be like this instead. But, but, but I don't think she's really a bad guy at all. We see, first of all, she welcomed Jesus into her house. That's not exactly the trait of a bad guy, is it? That's something that we should do. We should be welcoming, not just to Jesus, but the Bible calls us throughout to demonstrate hospitality, and that's exactly what Martha's doing here. In fact, hospitality is supposed to be one of the primary marks of biblical Christianity. It's a good thing. In fact, uh, it's one of the things that, that elders are supposed to uh, demonstrate in their own lives. First uh, Timothy 3 says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer or an elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. It goes on from there. But, but it's not just elders. It's not just like hospitality is a mark of the, the people who are elders and everybody else is kind of off the hook. No, we see specifically just a couple chapters later in 1 Timothy 5 that widows specifically, uh, in order to be placed on the widow's roll so that the church might take care of them in the early days of the church. So remember that in these days there were no retirement plans, no insurance policies, uh, and, and when a woman became a widow, she very likely did not have anyone to help take care of her, did not have the financial wherewithal often to take care of herself. And so the church saw the widows as being one of the primary areas of ministry that they were supposed to take care of. Widows and orphans, we're told in James, are, are the people that we take care of if we want to see a pure religion. Those who weren't able to take care of themselves. And in order to be placed on the widow's roles, we read in 1 Timothy 5, that that widow was supposed to be one who is having a reputation for good works. If she's brought up the children, she's shown hospitality, we're told. But not just elders and widows, all Christians, really. If we look in Romans 12, verse 13, we see that all Christians are to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And in Hebrews 13, again, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, 
and thereby some have entertained angels unaware. At the heart of Christianity is the idea of being hospitable, not just in the sense that we often think of inviting friends over to entertain them, but, but being hospitable in that you're helping to, helping to care for and invite people into your home, even those people who aren't closest to friends, that you might show them the love of Christ as Christ has shown his love to us. We are hospitable to others because Christ has been so hospitable to us. And Martha desires to serve Jesus with this kind of hospitality. Now there are some problems with the way she goes about doing it. 1 Peter 4 verse 9 says that we're to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Well, Martha certainly is showing hospitality here, but you'll notice there is an essence of grumbling in what she does. And another problem is sometimes we do good things, but we do them instead of doing better things. In which time those good, doing those good things actually can be a bad thing, right? It's kind of like this. I, I, I was thinking about you know, my kids are back in school now. They've got homework and, and such. And I was thinking about the whole idea of homework with both of these examples. Um, certainly the without grumbling thing is something that applies there. Uh, my children, uh, I, I love for them to do their homework without grumbling. You know, I, I want to know that they're doing it, but, it, but it's not just enough for them to sit down and do it. I don't want to hear them grumbling the whole time. I can't believe I have to do this. Rah, 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 rah. You know, they, they usually do a pretty good job of this. Do homework without grumbling. Hospitality is supposed to be the same way. Another example might be the idea of, of doing good things instead of better things. You know, uh, you know, perhaps a child might, might say, you know, I don't want to do homework. I don't really want to do it. They kind of put it aside. But, but then you have something come up like, you know, hey, I need you to do some chores for me. And all of a sudden, homework might become something that's really appealing, you know? Hey, I've got to do my homework. You know, it, it, sometimes... We pursue things for the wrong reasons when we should be pursuing other things. That's kind of the picture, I think, that we're seeing here with, with Martha and Mary. You see, her Mar sister Mary was busy doing something different than what Martha was doing. She was busy, we're told, sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teaching. To sit at his feet was, was a position of humility. It's to... to place oneself under them. Quite simply, it's to be one's student, to be a disciple. And Mary was, was placing herself in a position of wanting to be a disciple of Jesus, sitting at his feet, at those same feet that she would later anoint, as we read in our unison scripture reading today. She wanted to be a disciple. She wanted to soak in all she could from what Jesus had to say now we need to note how, how amazingly revolutionary this is. We might lose it in our culture. It might just kind of get by us without us noticing. But, but I want to bring this out. To sit at someone's feet was not just to pay attention to them, not just to kind of place themselves under them, but, but to be their disciple. And it was unheard of for a rabbi in that day to allow women to sit at his feet and be their disciple. It was just not something that was done. There was a rabbinical saying in Jesus' day, in fact, that said this. 
May the words of the Torah be burned. They should never be handed over to a woman. That was the cultural understanding of the day. And against this cultural backdrop, Jesus comes in and he shatters all expectations and cultural norms. He instead delights to teach women. He does this in addition to teaching men. The contemporary thought was the women weren't able to understand these things, but Jesus says, no, this is foolish. Jesus and the Bible stand in contrast to the teaching of the day, and, and we see that he, he was, in his time, presenting a radically progressive idea, really. This idea that empowers and respects women in ways that they had never been respected and empowered before. Oftentimes people talk about Christianity, biblical Christianity as being repressive to women, but nothing could be further from the truth. As we look here, we see one example of such. One of my professors in seminary, Jerem Bars, had this to say. He said, Jesus, in contrast to such despising of women, as was common then, invites women to learn from him. He praises Mary for her desire to learn and to grow in her understanding. In short, Jesus treats women as the full equals of men. And this is one of the things that our story communicates. See, Jesus encouraged her to listen, to learn, even though the culture would not have done this. Jesus was not like most men of that day who would just say, well, the women should be off in the kitchen and serving us men. No, they should learn as well. We should all learn. He's breaking down these man-made boundaries and he's seeing all people, men and women alike, as of equal and inestimable value being created in the image of God. That's one of the points that we need to see here. But, but getting back to this idea of what else we have to learn here, we see that Martha was not happy. Verse 40 tells us she was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Do you ever do that? I know I do sometimes. I wish I didn't, but I do. Do you, ever, do you ever sometimes just come to Jesus and tell him what he needs to do? You know, Jesus, if you would just do this, things would be a lot better. You know, if you would just do what I think you should do, we wouldn't have so many problems here. But you see, what we need to do, instead of coming to Jesus with all our ideas, instead of asking Jesus to trust in us, what we need to do is we need to trust in Jesus. We see it here in verse 41 where he says to Martha, 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 you're anxious and troubled about many things. He's not chastising her for her service per se. He's not getting after her for cooking a meal. Jesus values our service highly. He thinks it's a wonderful thing. Remember just in the Good Samaritan story just last week that we looked at, 
That's specifically what it's about, how we have to be about the work of serving God and serving others. We need to do things. We can't just sit back and think that we're being holy without doing anything. Faith without works is dead, as the brother of our Lord said in the book of James. Martha, however, is doing the right thing at perhaps the wrong time, perhaps with the wrong motives. Jesus doesn't rebuke her so much for making a meal as he does for the attitude of her heart. You are anxious. You're troubled about many things. You're distracted with much serving, it says. You're, you're distracted. The word there in Greek, perispao, means to, to be dragged away. You're distracted. You're being dragged away by these many things. You're anxious and troubled about them. Not so much overwhelmed by the amount of work, but just, just troubled by the thoughts behind them, troubled by what's going on in your mind. Don't be anxious about these things. In fact, Paul says in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything. And Jesus says, trust me. Trust me. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, her fault was not that she served. The condition of a servant well becomes every Christian. Her fault was that she grew cumbered with much serving so that she forgot him and only remembered the service. Can we do that sometimes? Can we get so busy serving God that we forget God? That we, we, we have to do this and do this and do this and do this. And I'm going to get about doing all these things. But we're, we're so busy doing these things that we forget the reason that we're doing them. We lose sight of the one for whom we're doing them. And perhaps we even trust in our service more than we trust in him. You know, Martha's problem here. It was all tied up in the fact that she was putting burdens upon herself and upon Mary that God hadn't put upon them. She had this long to-do list of things that she thought needed to be done. But Jesus said, there's one thing that's necessary. One thing. You know, in Acts... 17, Luke writes, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You know, it, we, we sometimes think that, boy, God is lucky to have us on his team. You know, all the things I'm doing and accomplishing, if he didn't have me, he'd be lost. We've got to trust that God does not need us so much as he invites us in to be used by him. We are the ones being blessed in that, even more than him. If we're not joyfully serving, we're not accomplishing anything, you see. Because, because God doesn't need us. We ruin our service when we overestimate our importance. When we think that God needs us to do this, and the service we're doing for him becomes ruined. Because the Christian life is not so much about finding our busyness in Christ. It's 
It's about finding our peace in him. That's our third point, finding our peace through Christ. Martha complained to and almost accused Jesus here. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I'm reminded in those words of the passage in Mark 4 where there was a storm on the sea and Jesus was asleep in the boat with the disciples. You remember his head on the cushion and we read that they woke him up saying, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. You notice this this accusation, do you not care, just like in our passage today, and the response of Jesus is to bring about peace, to get rid of worry and anxiety and fear. That's what he wants to do for Martha as well. That's what he wants to do for us. That's what he wants to do for us. He wants to give us that peace of God which surpasses all understanding so that he might guard our hearts and our minds. Whenever things aren't going the way I want them to go. There is a temptation to say, God, don't you care? Don't you care? If you've ever had a similar situation, a similar question that you've asked, I just tell you, you need to do one thing. Look to the cross. Look to the cross and see how much he cares. He cares so much that he sent his son to die. He cares so much that he would rather die for us than live without us. Not because we're all that special, but because his love and his grace are so great. If we ever question, don't you care, just remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of the gospel of God's power and his love and his mercy and his justice and his grace, and his peace. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So Jesus doesn't harshly scold Martha here, but tenderly and affectionately, lovingly says, Martha, Martha, He uses what's called a double vocative, fancy phrase there, using her name twice there. When we look in the scriptures and we see the times that Jesus speaks using these double vocatives, as he does on a number of occasions, we see that they're almost always a display of his heartfelt love and of his heartbrokenness over sin and its effects. Here with Martha, Martha, Martha. In Luke 13, when he comes to Jerusalem and says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Or in Luke 22, the night that he was betrayed, when he says, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. And then as Jesus hung on the cross, dying for your sins and mine, we read in Matthew 27 that he cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, 
That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The anguish of the cry, knowing full well the effects of sin, experiencing fully the effects of sin, our sin, the penalty being paid by him there, God's wrath poured out upon him. The Father forsook Jesus that he might not forsake us. And so he says here, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. The good portion. What is the good portion? The good portion is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's his word. It's his person. It's his love and his grace. For being with Jesus is not another thing on the to-do list. It's a blessing. It's an opportunity. And it will not be taken away from her. Jesus won't let that happen. He will not let that be taken away from her. One commentator put it this way. He said about this passage, the story of Mary and Martha is actually about the necessity of the priority of the word of God in a life of active service for the master. In fact, the teachings of Jesus were dramatically actualized in both women's lives. Both are women of excellence and noble character. Why did he say this? Well, he said this first of all about Mary, of course, because we see her here sitting at the Lord's feet. We see that she knew what Jesus said was true. But in Martha, we see that she too learned that this is true. That she needed to sit at Jesus' feet. She needed to listen to him. She needed to trust in him. She needed to find her peace in him. Because we look to John chapter 11, where we see Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary. And he is dead. He's been dead for four days. He's laid in the tomb. People have come to visit Martha and Mary. They're, they're paying their respects. Martha's house is full of guests. No doubt, Martha, this servant, this, this hostess, extraordinaire, feels the need, even in the midst of her grief, to take care of her guests, to show the kind of hospitality that she wants to show. But she hears that somebody else is coming. She hears that Jesus is coming. And what does Martha do in the midst of her grief with a house full of guests that she needs to look out for? She leaves. She doesn't wait. She just leaves. She goes and she finds Jesus as he's coming. And she meets him on the road and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he will do it. What kind of, of extraordinary faith is this? With her brother in the grave for four days, she comes to him and says, I know that whatever you ask, he will do it. It's the kind of faith that knows what she knew and what she says in verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When the crisis hit her life, when she came face to face with death. Her faith did not disappoint her. 
Her theology did not let her down. Nor does our theology let us down when we listen to Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, and when we find our peace in Jesus. We do all of these things today as we come to the Lord's table. And we need to learn the lesson of Mary and Martha. We need to learn that while there certainly is a time for giving service to our Lord, we need to first come to him as he offers service to us. First in the cross, of course. But now for us in the table. Jesus said that Mary has chosen the good portion. That word portion in Greek is meridae. It's often used of a meal. While Martha was busy preparing one feast, Mary was partaking of another feast, wasn't she? At the feet of Jesus. She was partaking of a better one. For as Jesus said in Matthew 4, quoting Deuteronomy 8, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We too have feasted already on the word of God. Preached. Let us now feast upon the word of God in sacramental form. But before we do that, I'd like for us to take out our bulletins and first proclaim in ancient words the timeless faith that we share.